This is a Renew Original Recording. Hello and welcome to the Believe in People podcast. I'm Matthew Butler and I'm your host, or as I like to say, your facilitator. Today I am joined by Emmy and Brit Award winning singer Michelle Heaton, member of the pop group Liberty X. In early 2021, Michelle bravely checked into rehab to fight her battle with addiction and today, 18 months sober, Michelle shares her story with Renew. Um, so first of all, would you just like to introduce yourself? I'm Michelle Heaton and I'm best known for being a singer in Liberty X. Well, thank you for joining us today, Michelle. Uh, first of all, how was last night? It was really good. Was good? We had a blast on, on stage at Hull Arena. It was, um, it was brilliant. It's really nice to get on stage with other acts from your era. Yeah, yeah. Um, backstage, a bit carnage. Yeah, well, I, can, well, this is it. I, can imagine, I can imagine it being carnage, but I can imagine it being a lot of fun as well, obviously having like, so many people around. Yeah, it really is. But it's so different to where it was in 2001, too, when we yeah, did yeah. the Smash Hits tours and everybody yeah. was younger without, without husbands and wives. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. It, was, it was way worse yeah, back yeah. then. Completely different now. Yeah, I mean, well, this is your second time in Hull this year, isn't it, as well? Yes, yeah, it is, actually. So, um, we actually love Hull. Yeah. I've got to say, because we, we travel around a lot and we go to different cities and uh, we're not there for very, very long each time we get there, but we've always said Hull is so lovely. You've got a beautiful city. Oh, thank you. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, we actually, to be fair, I don't know if you remember this, but we briefly saw you backstage at the Pride Festival. Now, I didn't know about your story, so okay. when I got home and I told my wife, Dana, you were there, she said, oh, did you manage to talk to her about addiction? I was like, no, she was like, anyway, she knew your story okay. and I didn't. So, you know, that was when I messaged uh, my producer and, you know, we said, oh, we should have spoke to her. And then that's when we messaged yeah. her agent. But I don't know if you remember, um, but we had these snazzy rainbow jackets on backstage. Of course I do remember. There you go. Oh well, my God. because of that, we wanted yes. to say congratulations on 18 months over. And we've also got oh. you your own rainbow jacket as no. well. So there you go, you've got that. Oh my so now, God. Now you officially have one. Because you did say you wanted mine as, oh, as you were leaving. And I was so tempted to much. give you it. The girls are going to be so jealous. I was going to wear it today, actually. I thought she'll remember oh me if God. I walk I'm in. Oh my God, I'm totally going to wear that down oh, to the good. lobby and see thank what they you. say. That's brilliant. Oh, man. I love that. That is that is wonderful. Thank oh, you. Thank you. So 18 months sober. Um, well, coming up to, yes. Okay, yeah. yeah. So what's that? I mean, I've listened to, I actually listened to your podcast with uh, Sober Dave. Um, okay. And that was like nine months. So obviously it's, it's double the wow. amount of time was that you've then? done since then. Yeah, yeah. Wow. So what, what sort of, I guess what sort of change and maybe for the past nine months? Because uh, I think one thing that we, you spoke about on that podcast that I did find um, enjoyable, and you mentioned it just before, uh, before we went on, was about boundaries and knowing when to leave social situations and when it's the yes. right time for you. Um, how do you feel you've got with that? So yeah, I think that. like last night, take for example, um, we, we got back to this hotel and then we went to the Sky Rooftop Bar. Yeah. And I was already a bit tired. So in hindsight, I should have said no. But however, I went because I wanted to catch up with some of the friends from the other bands. Of course, yeah. And um, I think with time and the more I'm in recovery, the more I am able to recognise the point at which I need to leave a yeah. situation, you know. And don't get me wrong, I never put myself into those situations early on. Um, it's took time. Um, I am around a lot of people who drink and, and other people who use. Mm. And I have to set boundaries to that. And I didn't, I didn't attempt to put myself through that pain at the beginning. That's really, really important. Mm. You know, you don't have to do any, anything you don't want to do. Yeah. If you are still nervous, or you get anxiety or you still have the obsession over drink or drugs, 
don't go to a party where you know there's going to be loads. I mean, it's, it's got to be as black and white as that. But with time, the obsession has lifted using the 12-step program. Yeah. And um, last night I went and I acknowledged at a certain point that I was getting tired, irritable and discontent. Mm. And when those set in, it's time for me to leave. And I just left. And mm. everybody understands because I've been quite open about my recovery and my addictions. And at the end of the day, you have to put yourself first in recovery because unless you're well, Nobody else around you will be okay. Mm. You know, I put myself in a situation that if I continued to stay that night, tonight, last night, I would have been angry, more likely to have relapsed. You know, I'm, I'm saying as, as a general rule of thumb, um, more likely to go to bed and get really irritated that I wasn't up there drinking. So I leave before that those moments come. Yeah, I, I imagine like um, I, the thing that I found interesting was when you when you you know when you spoke to when you spoke to somebody, you said about going to that. Um, it was the tickled pink event, and it was mm. the first time since lockdown that you'd really been out. First time you had your heels on. Um, and I suppose being in a bar, especially when you first achieve recovery, can be quite daunting because yes. all, all the, the problem that you have or had is all around you at that point as well. Yeah, that was the first um, event I went to. Mm. And I remember it like it was yesterday. Um, I remember being really, really uncomfortable, really nervous. Mm. I thought it, it was it was time for me to be able to go out and enjoy myself, but it wasn't mm. in hindsight. I wanted to go because I do a lot of work for the charity and it's, and it's something that I've personally been affected with. Um, but I just remember standing there and... It was a bright event. It wasn't like a nightclub. It wasn't like everyone was off their face or anything mm. like that. It was just a few few glasses of champagne. My friends were there. They had a couple of glasses. And I was just so angry mm. and irritated that I was an alcoholic. Mm. I think that's the easiest way of saying it. I got angry that, that I couldn't participate. I got angry that I couldn't enjoy that one cool glass of, of, um, of champagne. Um, luckily, I remembered what I am and that, that I know what would happen if I had that one glass. But I had to leave. I think I lasted about half an hour and I just said, I, I'm so sorry, I don't feel comfortable, I'm going to have to go. Mm. Um, and then we actually went for some food afterwards. And in a scenario with food and them having a glass of wine, that didn't actually trigger me. So, you know, I think the point that, that I got from that and... What I recognised is that it, it depends on every situation. It's different. You know, don't be scared of going out for food if there's alcohol served around you. It, you know, every, everyone's going to react different in different situations. I was put in a position where there was just alcohol flowing. It was an event that I would usually drink at. So I shouldn't have gone that early. Mm. And it, you said, obviously, last night you'd, you'd gone to uh, a couple of bars, obviously not drinking. But it, it shows that the level of, I suppose, progress that you've made Mm. In that sort of last nine months then as well, that you can maybe go to these situations and be a bit more comfortable. Yeah, I mean, don't get me wrong. You know, if somebody says you want to come out clubbing, I'd probably say no. Um, it's of no interest to me anyway. And what's the point? What's the point in putting yourself through that pain when everybody else is obliviated anyway and no one's going to remember that you're there? Mm. This, you know, unless it's a friend's birthday or something like that, you know, I turn up to my friend's events. I turn up to events that I get invited to if I need to go. I've learned to say no. Yeah. That's so important. Absolutely, yeah. You know, mm. I, I, I was kind of like beforehand, I would say yes to anything mm. because it was always going to have alcohol there. Yeah. And it was always an excuse. Oh, there's free alcohol, so let's go. But that, that free alcohol was just tipping off whatever else I was drinking. 
Um, but the, now it's really strong to say no. Yeah. It feels good. Yeah, it's the, there's a, I think we all have it, don't we? That people-pleasing element. We always try and, you know, a lot of the time we'll often put other people's, I suppose, feelings and what they want to do ahead of our own, whereas obviously now you're in a position where you can say no. And I think that's mm -hmm. something where some where I'd like to be sometimes. You know, mm -hmm. and yeah, We all get put in situations that we don't necessarily want to be in, but... Um, you know, people see you and people see your successes and, and you know, often, obviously, more recently, you've been able to talk about your low times. But the one thing I suppose I'm interested to hear, what was, what was, what was your rock bottom moment where you thought, right, I need help? When did you recognise it? When okay. was the moment where? Well, my, the moment I recognised that I wanted help um, was not my rock bottom. I would say, I'd say I've had, had worse, but that moment in time, I had, had, I had a lot of rock bottoms. Um, I was in and out of hospital. I got sacked from Panto because I was found on the floor in my dressing room. Um, and they found substance and alcohol in my room. And that, that was, that should have been enough to wake me up to stop. But after a 24 hour stint in the hospital and getting fluids, you know, inside of me, I then went straight and bought more vodka and, and I couldn't recognise that that was wrong. It was like I just had to drink. I just had to have the alcohol. There's no, there was no reason, reason behind it. It's absolute insanity. You know, this is a mental illness. It's a disease of the mind and body. Once I take the first drink, I get addicted and I need more. Um, that should have been my rock bottom, but it wasn't. I'd say there was another five months after that four or five months after that, before I asked for help, um, I was able to go into rehab. So it was just that one moment where I saw somebody else had what I want. That was the key. The key was seeing somebody else clean and sober who I knew had struggles. That's what I wanted. Um, and that's what changed. I think that's the importance of uh, peer support and, you know, people like yourself sharing your story because that's where the inspiration will come from for people. I think, I just want to go back to when you said for, for some people, um, doing the panto, going into hospital, coming out and grabbing vodka, to some people that sounds absolutely... Oh, it's insane. Insane, do you know It's what I mean? absolutely so disgusting. I think the thing with this is when people don't understand addiction, they say, oh, it's just a case of, it's, it's a case of um, low willpower or a lack of willpower. <sighs> What would you say to that? Because there is a stigma when people mm -hmm. don't understand addiction. Mm -hmm. Where people think, oh, if you, why don't you just stop? And obviously there's the medical yeah. reasons why you can't just stop when yes. you're alcohol dependent. Which but... I didn't, had no idea Absolutely. about, yeah, you know. Yeah. Um, you know, it's a good question because I also thought that of myself. Mm. I'm, I'm disgusting. Why can't I stop? I need to say no. I would try to say no. I would try not to drink. I would, I would inevitably be iller. I'd be sicker, I'd feel more rough when I wasn't drinking than when I was because my, that's that's how I self-medicated my body with alcohol. The only time I felt reasonably okay was when I was drinking. Um, and you just mentioned because you can't, the amount of drink I was taking in, if I stopped straight away, that, that could lead to a, my life being taken away as well. But I didn't know that time. So for me, whenever I felt rough because I was trying to stop, I had to drink to keep myself going and I didn't know what was going on. And it is insane. And, you know, when you want to stop and you can't, you, you get scared. And I didn't know what I suffered from still. Um, I just, I just know, I knew nothing else other than to just keep doing what I was doing. And um, there were, there was a good few times where 
I was so upset that I was drinking and using while I'm drinking and using that I was disgusted with myself and I would pray to God, a God, to help me either die or stop. I just didn't want to, I, I didn't want to wake up sometimes because the pain of waking up and repeating it all over again, I didn't want to. I was using against my will. That's where it took, that's where addiction takes you when you're using against your will and you actually don't like what you're doing. That's, you know, th that's almost too far before you should recognize that you may need help. But that's where it took me. Working, I've been working in drug services for eight years now, and sometimes uh, conversations around, you know, celebrity and celebrity culture comes up and, and addiction. And I suppose it's kind of like lifestyles of the rich and the famous, do you know, mm. I guess. Um, so when you talk about celebrity and celebrity culture, you know, it's, oh, well, if they've got problems, they can just check themselves into an expensive rehab and they mm. can get the help they, they deserve uh, or the help they need. Um, our service users, because rehab and, and, you know, sending someone to a detox is so expensive. Yeah. There's um, sort of, I guess, things they need to comply with in terms of they need to attend X amount of one-to-one -one appointments, X amount of groups, mm. to show a willingness and a level of preparation. So we're not just going to send somebody and they're going to come back and be straight. Yeah, because some bit people do abuse the system yeah, and use it as a detox to yeah. then get back on it. And mm. I know people like that. What would, you, what would you say to people who look at someone like yourself and think, oh, well, she'll have it easy mm. because she's got friends who can help yeah. or she can afford to do this what would your response be to those people i mean it just so first of all in my defense i needed medical attention so whether it was rehab or whether i was going to be admitted to hospital it was either or for me um i was that ill i was i was about to die my my um liver function was off the charts my pancreas still doesn't work i'm still suffering from that today um so i would have either been admitted to hospital or rehab and that's where it took me however it rehab got me clean and got me understanding what I suffer from, but it didn't keep me sober. Mm. What keeps me sober is the rooms, my AA, my CA meetings, mm. and my 12-step program with my sponsor, um, my sponsees, you know, my 12 steps. That's what keeps you sober, and that is free, mm. right? Absolutely. So I, I, I got, yeah, I got clean in rehab, mm. But I stay sober in the rooms. Yeah. And I know the majority of the people that I, that I now know in classes, really good friends of mine, in recovery, get sober in the rooms. Mm. You don't have to need rehab or hospital attention. Mm. You know, a lot of people recognise it before we got to the point that I did, you know. Mm. How have you found the 12-step programme? I found in terms of working in services, there's a lot of ambivalence. And, and, you know, you said yourself, you know, at one point you was praying to a, to a yeah. god. Yeah. That can often put people off, that sort of handing yourself over to a, to a higher power, admitting you're powerless. How was that transition for you into mm. a 12-step program? Was it, did you yeah. have, I mean, do you, do you have any like religious beliefs? Is, um, no, is that part of no, it? no, not particularly. Okay. I don't. Um, was that I a barrier mean, for you at all? It was, it was a bit of a... It, it, it's really difficult hmm. because I understand you, when I saw the word God... I forgot that I prayed to God to kill me or help me, right? I forgot that then. So I was praying before I knew what I was going to pray to. Does that make yeah, sense? Yeah, yeah. But but as soon as I saw the word God, I was I, I did switch off. I'm not going to lie. Um, but what I found was that when I stopped questioning what God is, 
then I found my higher power. Mm-hmm. What that is, I have no idea. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't go to church. I was, I, I'm, I'm a Christian, but I, I'm actually fundamentally believe in the Big Bang theory yeah, and, yeah. and and all of that. And I believe the Bible was re- was written to teach us things in life. And I believe the twelve step program is a mirror to the Bible. Mm-hmm. It's about teaching us how to live life the way that we we should be able to, free from our addictions, mm-hmm. free from redemption, free. You know, it yeah, kind absolutely. of it kind yeah, yeah. of actually is is, is a parallel. Um, so when I got, when you get over the whole God word, yeah. and some people are religious and bring their God and their faith into it, my higher power, I don't know who or what it is, but I pray to a higher power every morning and I pray for a clean and sober day because mm-hmm. I used to pray to that same higher power before to help me, help me get vodka when the, when, when it was closed, the shops or, or to me, oh, please, please let nobody find me like this. Course, you know, yeah, yeah. that was constant. Mm-hmm. So all I've done is shifted the way that I do my prayer and shift it to help me stay and remain sober. And then the higher power in that is that I could not get sober or clean for Mm. anybody, not for myself and not for my kids Mm. and not for my husband or my friends. The fact that I was losing jobs all around me, you know, it it, it sounds selfish. It absolutely, absolutely is. But when you're, when you cannot stop for whatever reason, all of those things. It's not that it doesn't matter. It's that you can't sound why you can't get sober for those things. Mm. So if I can't get sober for my kids who are the world to me, there has to be something else keeping me from making the wrong decisions. And that thing is a higher power. And so I just do what the suggestions are. The suggestions are there. I followed the suggestions from my sponsor and I did the 12 steps. The 12 steps is actually something that anybody can apply to their lives. Like my husband's really intrigued about it and he wants to apply it to their lives. It's actually, it's not a religious program. It's a spiritual program. Mm. And I think we could all do with a bit of spirituality in our lives, whether it's meditation, coming to one with nature. You know, a lot of that is a big part of it. It's about clearing your mind and, and making, you know, put one foot in front of each other and making the best decisions possible. I wasn't able to make my own decisions in addiction. Mm. You know, the, the choices were taken away from me. I had no choice. I had no option. Whereas now with my higher power and my steps and my sponsor, you know, it's, you know, there's a triangle recovery service and um, without every little bit of it, sorry, with every little bit of it, I'm able to, to recognize that it is a choice. Mm. So I have a choice whether I drink or not. Yeah. No, I'm, I think you've done a really good job of explaining that because it is a it is a massive barrier for people to get to the first session and they hear God and then it's like, oh, do you know, I don't want to deal with mm-hmm. that. But I mean, I've had higher power explained to me in so many ways. And, and someone said to me, imagine your car breaks down on the side of the road and you, you need to push it to safety, but you're by yourself and you can't do it. Someone comes over and they help you push it into the labor. He said that in that situation mm. is a higher power. It's someone yeah. helping you get from like A to B and where you want to be. And yes. I suppose recovery capital is a big part of it as well. Do you know, we talk about um reasons to stay sober as well you've talked about your husband you've talked about your children as well do you know they're the they're the reasons why you i suppose you know you i know you said you couldn't do it for them mm-hmm. but it's important to stay sober for them as well isn't it oh yeah absolutely mm-hmm. and um you know my husband's been a massive part of of my recovery obviously but also he's spoken out and how he felt through it and 
you don't recognise what other people are going through when you're in addiction, you know. I spent the whole time blaming them. I spent the whole time being irritated by them. And it's not until you get sober that you can recognise, like, in the steps. Step nine, for example, is where you make your amends to people. And there's no way I would have said sorry in the madness. Yeah. There would be no way. Yeah. Um, but what they go through, now that I'm sober, I don't want to ever put them through that again. How was the, I think the lockdown was a big part of your story as well, mm. wasn't it? Yeah, definitely. Talk, talk us through a little bit about that then. Um, because I think yeah. a lot of people, I mean, myself included, you know, not having to go to work the next day, mm-hmm. uh, I found I was drinking more throughout the lockdown just mm-hmm. because what else was there to do at home? Yeah. What was that like for well, you? Especially pre having the lo- yeah. an addiction. Pre the lockdown, I, I, I was told that I needed to cut down on what I was drinking because of my liver function. So I already had problems. So I was already an addict. I was already an alcoholic. Um, and so lockdown just made it worse yeah. for me. Whereas I think that there will be a lot of people coming out of lockdown and in the next few years realising that they are where I was at the beginning of lockdown because it did create this um, totally alien environment where we were at home. And so, you know, having alcohol was a release and everybody was drinking more because, what you know, and I get it, everybody yeah. was drinking more. So I was drinking more on top of what I was already consuming. I get you. Um, you know, un- unwill- unwittingly. I didn't set out to do that. It just happened. So it did get worse. And it got it got to points where, you know, night was day, day was night. Um, I was obviously homeschooling, so I didn't have to drive anywhere. And we were renting a house at the time. And I could walk to the shop. And it was just easier to be more into my addiction through lockdown. Mm. Um, and for most people... Um, a lot of my friends actually have come out of it and they haven't been able to cut down what they consumed in lockdown. And I think we're going to see more problems, more people needing help in the next year or two when people recognise what they consumed and how this carried it on. Yeah. Um, I think there'll be a lot of that. I've got a, I've got a quote here and it says, uh, I'd wait until my husband went to bed uh, to start binging on vodka in the middle of the night. Yeah. Yeah, I Did, mean, was, was he aware of your alcohol problems? He was. Okay. Um, not not to the extent, mm. not at all. Um, but my husband tried to intervene about two years previous to getting help. He, they staged an intervention, him and all my friends, and they wanted me to go to a, a, a rehab or a detox center, and they had set it all up. And um, oh, I just talked my way out of it. Mm. Promised I was going to get better. Promised I could, and I, I, I really wanted to do it for them, but I have to be honest, I didn't want to get better then. I liked what this mad alternate universe was for me because I was drinking away what I wanted to suppress, mm. you know? And But I convinced, my, I convinced them that I would get better, and I did try. I just found I couldn't, so I hid it more. I do you know, I'm interested you said that because of another quote I've got here. It mm. said, you enjoyed being an addict, you enjoyed the chaos, uh, and you, you enjoyed the manipulation. Yeah. Can you explain that to me? Because that, that in sick, itself sounds... It? No, but it, it, it sounds does. mental, doesn't it? It, it really? really is because, do you know what? It's like, like I'm, a, I'm a good person. Mm. I'm a, I'm not, I'm, I'd like to think I'm nice. I'm, I am kind and I'm loving and I love to make people feel good about themselves. And 
addiction didn't like stopped all that. It stopped, it stopped me being who I am, but I couldn't see it. So it was just a new version of me. And the only way that, and then I suppose the easiest way of, it's like an example. So because I was this person and people didn't want to hang around with me and I didn't know why, obviously it was because I was a car crash. I would manipulate situations so that I could get friends to hang out with me. And those friends were on my level. So I'd manipulate my friend groups and I would shift my friends. Um, actually, a memory here that I didn't have an alcohol or drug problem in celebrity era. Mm. My issues came later on in life. And it wasn't because I was around parties. It was actually in a very normal um, village where I live. And it was other people that I was hanging around with enabled me to do more. So, yes, celebrity lifestyle and everything that I attend, there is, you know, there's vast amounts of alcohol and it really is difficult. But actually, I can't blame that for my addictions. It was, it was a normal situation, if that makes any sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so you're just saying then you, you, the addiction started after celebrity lifestyle. Um, I, have, I have brief experience in the entertainment industry, mm. but I understand that when I have performed it it creates such a high mm -hmm. what was that like for you when you I guess when you sort of left that circle and because if the, what I'm trying to get I suppose yeah. is was you trying to fill the emptiness that was maybe from the lack of high that you was receiving because as a performer I can't imagine what it was like last night seven thousand people on stage you know that's that's going to be amazing yeah. so what's what's the come down like really and, and I guess did you ever think about uh, alcohol being a replacement to that come down um, I'm going to say no, Okay. because alcohol has always been part of my life. Yeah. I didn't drink in a addictive way until I want to say about 34, 35. Um, but it was always an issue. I was always a functioning alcoholic. And I hate that word because I use yeah. that the whole time in my addictions. Mm. I'm a functioning alcoholic. Um, but then my body stopped functioning, you know, so it, it's, there's no such, it's a really silly word, really. But, um, but I was, I was drinking um, slightly alcoholically, but I wasn't in addiction where I had no choice mm. um, in the band. But drink was always there. I would have a drink before stage. I'd be having a few drinks afterwards. It was, I was young um, and I was single at the time at the beginning of the band and everybody was, it was just so much fun. I'm not going to yeah. lie. I had oh, the I best imagine, yeah. time. Yeah. Um, drinking culture back then was just fun and it wasn't, it wasn't dangerous. You know, I think that a lot of addictions come out later on in life and it's, it's definitely been, a, you know, a slow progress, um, from the beginning, but with the natural highs and comes downs off stage, I, I thought, it's so interesting doing it sober. Mm. Um, I remember the first gig that, the first couple of gigs that we did, um, and it was quite shortly after the Priory, actually. Maybe a little bit too soon, but I have to work. I need to earn money. I mean, the last two years in COVID, I haven't earned anything. And then previous to that, I wasn't getting booked for anything. So I really needed to bring in some money into the house, you know, because we can't just last on a one wage where we live and it's just and the kids. And yeah. uh, so the come down from that, the next day, I felt like I had a hangover. Okay. 
that's 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 how I felt of a natural come down because I've never had that natural come down. Yeah. And I felt like I had been drinking the night before. I had to question myself, you know, this is just newly in recovery. And I said to the girls, I, I know I didn't drink. And they were looking after me. There was no alcohol on the rider and they would come and see me in my room to make sure I was all right. And that was lovely. And Kelly said, welcome to the club because Kelly doesn't really drink much. And she's like, that's, that's, that's normal. That's normal. And then once I got over that feeling, I actually, the buzz of being on stage is a natural high. And now I, I, I love it. You know, yeah. it's, it's, it's so different. Mm. Before when I was drinking on stage, the girls were worried about me. You know, they were sometimes embarrassed. I thought they hated me. And, the, you know, and but actually they were worried and embarrassed when I would say things and I would just act stupid on stage and thinking everybody likes me if I was if I'm making a fool of myself. And, and you know, I don't want to be reminded of that, you know. Yeah, I get that. You, do, do you know, it's interesting that you mentioned around uh, the age of 34, 35, because uh, that brings us to, to your book here, Hot Flush, and that's when you went into... Um, I suppose early menopause. Yes, I don't know much about yes, menopause. Yes, that's right. Yes, as, you know. So I, I'm quite interested to to talk about that. Mm. How did how did going into early menopause uh, menopause mm. affect uh, alcoholism then? Um, because I believe that they're both very much related. Yes, okay. I do. I do. Looking back and having worked through things with my sponsor and talking to my husband, he recognises a shift in my drinking habits when this book was released. Um, I went into um, immediate menopause when I had a total hysterectomy. Mm. And that was when AJ, my youngest, was six months old. Straight after ha having um, him, I went into postnatal depression because I couldn't give him breast milk because I had had my double mastectomy mm. um, a year and a half previous to that. He then had meningitis. So the six months before my operation was very traumatic. Um, and then I had the operation and my coping mechanism was alcohol. Mm. Um, and, you know, I already had issues with alcohol previous to that. I can't blame that for making me an addict, but I definitely turned to alcohol for release. And it was okay to do so. You know, nobody would forgive me. You know, I was forgiven for turning to alcohol because it was such a tra traumatic. It's understandable, yeah. It's Everything understandable. That you've gone through, yeah, yeah. Um, and I discovered that I just hated the fact that I had no, I, I had nothing to relate to my friends. Okay. I was not relatable to them at all because I was going through menopause and I was, you know, um, up and down with my mood swings, my hot flushes until my, I got my HRT settled. Mm. And so when I'm out with my girlfriends or, or with Jess or Carol, I suddenly just feel so old and crepid and not worthy, not sexy, not, 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 you know, not attractive, um, irritable. I was itchy all the time. My hair was falling out. You know, the list was endless, really, of the things that I was suffering from. And so the only time I felt okay was when I drank. Because all of those things went away and it gave me the confidence to become the person I thought that I wanted to be. Yeah. I imagine it being isolating, like you say, your, your friends are, you know, to, to go through like that 34, 35, it, it's mm. early. So your friends aren't going to relate, are they, at all? I guess yeah. and it is going to be such an isolating experience. Yeah, and and my own my own demise was that I never, I never got help. Um, you know, I never talked through the issues and, you know, the, the NHS 
when that thing, when that kind of thing happens, they do offer help. Mm. And I didn't take it mm. because I, I, I know I'm a fighter. I'm really strong willed and I get over things. But I should have recognised, you know, this isn't normal, what I went through. And I really should have accepted that help. I'm not saying that would have stopped me from being an addict. I think I had issues before that. Um, but, you know, if you're, if you're going through anything, anything traumatic, life-changing, this was a life-changing operation to myself, my family, uh, my husband. Um, you know, it's, it's okay not to be okay. And mm. I thought not being okay, I didn't want nobody to know I wasn't okay. Yeah. It's, I think as well, especially now you're in circles such as you know the fellowship of AA, you'll you'll understand the importance of peer support as well, which oh, I yeah. think for a lot of people they don't. I think sometimes it feels like a sign of weakness that we have to yeah, you know, get support from friends. I think we like to try and you know tackle things ourselves. You just talked about being a fighter, and, and so it, it, I imagine there is an element of feeling. I guess originally in that point, feeling weak that you do have to ask for help from people or do want support from people. Yeah, I totally recognise mm. that. I I, I definitely was not the person to ask for help um no matter what was happening i mean it took me it took me at least a year and a half to ask for help for my addictions when actually i should have asked for it then mm. actually when when the first intervention was offered to me that's when i should have accepted it um but i wasn't ready it's really important um you know i suppose for the people the loved ones that are around this the, the addict to recognize and not everybody does that they can't get sober for you. They have to be ready. Otherwise, it's all going to go tits up. Mm. If I went to rehab back then, I have no doubt in my mind that I would have relapsed because I didn't want the help then. Mm. The person has to be ready, willing, asking and accepting help. They have to be willing because it's, it's not easy. Mm. You know, recovery is difficult, yeah. especially at the beginning. Um, so that person has to be willing and able to, to recognise that they need help. Yeah. And unfortunately, the loved ones around them, as much pressure as you put on them to get help, it's, it's, it's not going to happen unless they're ready. That's the, you just that, got to be there. It's the downfall for a lot of people is, oh, I'm doing this for my daughter, I'm doing this for my son, I'm, mm. I'm, I'm here because I'm, you know, my wife wants me to get help. And you, know, you said yourself, you know, you, there was all these factors that... that but you, realistically, it has to, like you've just said then, it has to be when you're ready personally. Yeah. Because if, you, if you're not... It's never going to work, is no. it? And I think that's that's the frustrating thing that we see sometimes in services that are people trying to change or wanting to change, but for the wrong reasons, not because they want to change, yeah. but all these external sort of pressures. Yeah, exactly. I mean, the thing is, is that obviously I wanted to be um, healthy and and able to be a good mummy. That's the conflicting thing, Yeah, 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 yeah. So, yeah. of course, I wanted to do it for them. But the snap moment was I was done. Yeah. I was exhausted. Mm. I was so exhausted of the lies, I guess, of just... Of the lies and the manipulation. And my body was just dying. I was dying. And I, I get, my skin was translucent. I, ha, I was so itchy because of my liver function that I had blisters all over my body. And I was just done. Like, I couldn't breathe done. And... Um, yeah. You okay? Yeah. Sounds like a break. Good, I'm fine. Are you okay? Yeah. Yeah, that's right. As long as, yeah. Yeah. No, I, I don't. No, I'm all right. You're okay. Okay. Um, 
So talking about talking about the menopause, um, how can I suppose can you elaborate how men can help with that situation? Is there anything that we can do to to I suppose if my wife was going through it, I wouldn't mm. have a clue what to do. Yeah. What sort of advice could you give men about how to help the partners, help you know people in their life who are yeah. going through? That's a really good question. Um, it, it's it's endless, really. The possible, you know, the answer there. It's very difficult when a woman goes through menopause because if you think about it. If your body stops producing hormones that your body needs to function. So it's literally like taking away everything that you that you feel, your emotions, um, your hormone levels, your sleep patterns, irritability, mind focus, everything, and jumbling them all up and going, there you go, figure life out now. And um, it's really it's really hard for the loved ones to see that because they sometimes feel it's their fault and it's not. They feel pushed away, you know, like I pushed my husband away a lot. Um, and he felt like I was having, a, he thought I was having an affair. Mm. I wasn't. I just didn't want him near me. And I couldn't articulate that without hurting his feelings. It was just that moment. And obviously we've moved on from that and I've got, and I'm on the right levels of HRT now. Um, just be there and know that the person you married is there somewhere. And if she's willing to get help, you know, whether it's HRT, go see the doctors, ask the questions. You know, we pay taxes, right? We've got a wonderful NHS service. If you don't go and ask, you're not going to get help. Yeah, You absolutely. have to go. You have to knock down the door. You have to get yourself to the appointment and get your levels checked. So encourage the, encourage the, the woman to go and get themselves checked with their levels and ask for help in that way. But just know that she's there. And yeah. if, she, if she doesn't know where she is in her mind, you know, it's gonna, it's really hard for the woman. Yeah. It really is. But it's really, really hard for yeah. the loved ones too. Well, I always say women really did draw the short straw. With, like from literally <laughs> yeah, from beginning well, yeah. to end out, they really, from it, it, it just, yeah, there's, yeah. Cost. But then, you know, the way I see it as well as is that um, the men suffer with them too. Mm. You know, my husband suffered all through my addictions and he had to navigate through all of that and become, you know, the mother and the father for kids. And so, you know, when you love somebody, you take on their pressure and their, their downfalls and pitfalls and um, you feel it with them. So I think, you know, it goes hand in hand, a partnership. Um, he feels what I feel. Mm. Absolutely. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm glad you. I'm glad you've elaborated on that. And thank you for sharing. I know that wasn't easy, so I do appreciate that. Thank you. Um, why was it so important to use your profile and influence to address the stigma of what it means to be an addict? Well, if I'm being really, really honest, um, the the thought of anybody knowing actually kept me from asking for help. Um, I would. I was just devastated at the thought of people thinking that I was one of these people addicts absolutely disgusted with myself that people would would think that it would get out all my family all my friends the public I'd never work again oh my god I'm never ever going to be able to work or be on stage or sing again my life would be over if anybody found out and that stopped me from asking for help for a long time and um when I went into rehab the choice was taken away by um somebody selling a story on me um about my addictions before I even get a chance to commute what I am myself. And so we had been faced with a decision to not talk or to talk. And I've always been a believer pre that moment, especially with my book and things like that, that I always want it in my words. So if anybody's going to be 
open and honest, it's going to be me. I'm not going to let any idiot take that away from me. And that was made, unfortunately, it had to be made really, really quickly. Yeah. So um, instead of somebody else telling my story, which would be, be probably fabricated and glorified for them, I took responsibility myself and, and, I, and I spoke about it in um, a one-off interview. Um, and at that point, I, I was still navigating, you know, what I am, how I'm going to face recovery. But once it was done, nobody could then do anything about what I've already said. Mm. I've said it. I've admitted. I was really honest and open. And I was so fearful that that was it, that that, that was it. I was never going to work again and everyone was going to hate me and, like, no mums from school would let me have kids' play dates. But very, very quickly, it was the absolute opposite. I was asked to help people. I was asked for advice. I had women, um, mothers from school who I thought were, you know, prim and proper, admitting to me they're in recovery for eight, nine, ten years, yeah. coming to a meeting, people offering help. And it opened up this gateway to all these possibilities I thought would never exist. Mm. I thought the complete opposite was going to happen. And actually, by coming out myself, and it's a very personal issue, um, very personal decision to be open with your addictions. I totally understand mm. why people don't tell everybody. Um, well, first of all, my option was taken away. And second of all, I'm so happy I did. Yeah. The response was amazing. And me being able to be open and talk, especially on platforms like this, will help people. Absolutely. And this helps me, yeah, yeah. you know, I, I don't, you know, sometimes I don't work a perfect program and, mm. and sometimes I di get disconnected from recovery because I'm busy and life just yeah. shows, shows up. So this is good for me, selfishly. I don't really care it's quite if it's grounding, selfish. It's grounding, isn't I'm, it? Yeah, yeah, I suppose, to talk about I need to talk about yeah. things that have happened so that I remember what I suffer from so I do not go back there. Um, but having this platform to be open has been an absolute blessing. I've been so blessed to be able to talk to people like yourself and other people in recovery, meet so many amazing people, meet families of, you know, of, of the sufferers, um, meet families who have addicts living with them still and don't know what to do. Yeah. And if I can help a little bit, that's, that's, that's incredible that yeah. I've got this platform. It's amazing. It is. It's a nice, it's, it's, a, it's a bit of a superpower, isn't it, really? It's, to be able it, to change, help change people's lives. Yeah. I'm really fortunate and I'm really, really, really grateful that people have, um, you know, given trust back to me as well. It's, it, it hasn't happened overnight. Um, but, you know, now, I, you know, I'm, I'm doing Dancing on Ice. Well, I was just and, about to ask about that, actually. Yeah. So we'll be seeing you on our, our TV screens in uh, January, is it? Yes. Okay. Uh -huh. uh, how was how did that come about? Uh, oh, well, it's, it's been a bit of a, a dream of mine for many, many years. And I remember auditioning for this about three, four years ago. And I was in a right mess. Mm. I was very, very heavily into my addictions. It was a really bad time. And I turned up a bit messy. Um, thoughts, how dare they not take me for the show? Mm. You know, I'm, I, you know, why, why not me? And it was clearly because I, I wasn't going to be of any use. If I had gotten it that time, I would have made an absolute disaster of myself and messed up my life even more. And so that time wasn't right. And um, I went for it. I, I, um, my manager um, asked them for last year and I, we, we decided it was too early in my recovery to mm. be on something so open. And then this year I got a call to ask if I was still interested. And so I went along to the audition and, um, and yeah, and, and I got it. Yeah. Like, it, it's mental to think that where I was and the reason I didn't ask for help is because I was so scared of not getting work. Yeah. 
But in the fellowship, in, in, in the 12-step program and it, in the rooms, we have this thing called the promises. And it's a, you know, it's... Um, it's a reading and the promises, they don't all come true. It's not like you get a magic yeah, pot of gold at of the course, end of yeah. a rainbow, but you will see your friends and your family coming back into your life and opportunities come that you never thought would ever be possible. And th- this is just a prime example. Yeah. Like I'm not saying that everybody recovery is going to get a TV show, of course, yeah. but it's an example to what my life is now to mm. what, where it was. Mm. I was never going to be given an opportunity to do this back then. Yeah. No chance. And with recovery and with me being safe to be around and being, you know, equipped to be able to do a show um, and not get triggered, that, that's taken time, but, yeah. but it's there. And yeah. I'm, I'm buzzing. It's, been, it's like a reward for the hard work that you've put in, in some respects, isn't it? Because like, obviously this, it takes so much work to do all this. Yeah. And, you know, it, it's... It's, de- it's deserved, isn't it, you know, to be able to... I think it just goes back to you help... Karma. I'm not necessarily a big believer in karma, but the help you've given others mm. has kind of been paid back, I guess, in tenfold for you and for, for your career and where you're going to be going from here. I do think that anybody in recovery who, who, who works it and does it the best of their ability, you know, the things that you can be rewarded with are, are endless. And I'm not talking about money. Mm. I'm, I'm talking about, like you know getting that job that you go for this this example and making amends with your family that you haven't spoke to for years because you were always that drunk idiot to the party or or you stole from your mum or whatever it might be you know with recovery those relationships come back Mm. and you know all of this is a blessings that would never be able to happen before yeah no, uh, how's the so how's the training going for this then for dance (laughs) guys because I understand we spoke to your agent the other day said you was on the ice uh, at that time as well How's that going? It's slow. Yeah. I'm not going to lie. Do you have I, any experience? I, I, no, that's of, no, the thing. No, I actually okay. don't. And, and that's categorically the, the honest truth. Yeah. The only ice skating I've ever done is in the auditions okay. and at Christmas with the kids on an ice rink, yeah, yeah. you know, while they've got penguins. Yeah. I mean, that, that, yeah, yeah. that's it. Yeah. Um, so I'm a complete, absolute novice. I have no idea what I'm doing, but I'm really enjoying it. Yeah. I'm getting the hang of it. Mm-hmm. It's slow. But um, but I love it. Something about it. I just I love I love having um, something to reach for, yeah. and um, I like challenges and I like competitions, and I'd like being part of a team. Yeah. So getting to know everybody is is just amazing. So I, I didn't realize how long it had been on TV. Dancing nice. It's been years, hasn't it? And, yeah. Uh, your bandmate Jess had been on back in two thousand nine. That's, that's that right. Correct? And she finished third place. Yes, she did. Has very she given well. you any hints and tips for this at all? Or? She just said to me, um, "Well, obviously we talk about it all the time in the yeah. cars and stuff." Um, but the main thing she said is enjoy it. Yeah. She said that enjoy the process. Um, she enjoyed it when she let herself go. Yeah. And um, just from the get-go, just enjoy it. And that's what I'm doing. I'm, I'm having fun good. as well. And if I'm any good, that's a bonus. Mm. I don't want to do the process, be so hard on myself and not enjoy it, it at all. Whereas I want to enjoy it and um, be self-critical, but in a healthy way. Yeah. And to be fair, lastly, I suppose after everything we spoke about, what would your advice be to others that maybe have found themselves in similar situations to yourself in the past asking for help is not weakness it's strength i didn't know that before Mm. um it takes a lot of strength to ask for help if you recognize that you cannot stop drinking or you're drinking or using you know against your will you don't want to do it and you're still doing it that that's past the time when you need to look at yourself and ask for help and there's so much help out there the helplines that are available and what you guys are doing there is help out there if you seek it if you want help it's there 
No, oh, thank you. Um, and I finish all my I finish all my podcasts with this random ten fire questions. Okay. So, okay. Um, get ready for these. Completely relevant to everything that we've spoken about so far. Um, my first question is: What is your favourite word? It's hard, isn't it? Oh my god! Yeah, I, I should have just said it. What's your favourite word? Um, oh god! Oh no! I'm mind blank. Yeah. Uh, Oh, I could come back to that one if shit. you want. Yeah. Oh, can't no, no, you can, you can do. Yeah. Oh, can you? Oh, of All course right. you can. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Yeah. okay. Um, Shall I take shit as your favourite word? <laughs> can you can't can, then do that. that <laughs> favourite word is shit. We'll go with that. <laughs> shit. Uh, what is your? What's your least favourite word? Oh God, um, I can't. I can't. I like that. Yeah. That's two words. Well, no, no, can't. can't. Cannot. Yeah. I can't. understand. Yeah. Uh, tell me something that excites you. Picking the kids up from school. That's nice. Short-lived. Hmm? Five minutes later, hating picking okay, the kids yeah, up yeah. from school. <laughs> yeah. But I actually really enjoy getting the kids, and, like, yeah. I get excited about yeah. seeing them, and then five minutes I want to, I want to drop yeah, them back just off. just drop them back yeah. off to school, yeah. Uh, tell me something that doesn't excite you. The five minutes yeah, the after fact, I was going to say, it was, is yeah, it the five minutes after you pick yeah. the kids up from yeah, school? Yeah. Uh, what sound or noise do you love? Oh, um... I actually like listening to waves. I sleep to waves. I have um um I can't pronounce what's the word to tonight uh tonight is tonight yeah. 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 Where um, my ears affected and, and all I can hear is a is a Oh really? Yeah. So I listen to waves and I really like it. What brought that on? If you don't mind me asking. Um, in ears. So, oh, okay. In yeah. ears. Like, so, well, I was just thinking, obviously, you've been so close to yeah. massive speakers yeah, for just so long. Yeah, just years of having an ears in my ear and the music blasting. Fair. Um, what sound or noise do you hear? The ringing of the ears. Yeah, exactly. These are answering themselves, aren't they? So, again, you can swear. What's your favourite curse word? Well, I actually say fuck a lot. Yeah, yeah. Oh, fuck. Yeah, yeah. Fuck. Oh, fuck. 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 Yeah. Fuck. 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 I like that one. <laughs> uh, what profession other than your own would you like to attempt? Ooh, um, I'd like to attempt being a counsellor, mm-hmm. um, especially for kids. Yeah. And and um, trying to get to the, I I do believe that it's it's early on in life where you become where you create the unhealthy behaviours mm. towards addictions, um, definitely. That so. was, to be fair, that was something I did have as my questions. One of you, one, mm. uh, your agent had said you was quite keen to, to work with uh, children. And, uh, yeah, I am. There's well. a lot of lot of tape that you've got to go over to yeah, work with children. Yeah. Um, but it's definitely something that I'd like to look into mm. um, in the future, definitely. Yeah. No, it's good to, good to hear. Um, what profession uh, would you not like to do? So it's not... Disrespecting office work. Office, Sorry, yeah. guys. No, I understand. It. I mean, my I husband does work in the office yeah. um, two days out of the week, yeah. and the rest of it is on the road. But yeah, yeah. to be fair, I, I should would, try that. I well, I'd hate office work if we wasn't doing what we was doing. I think what makes it yeah is that when we sit next, I sit next to my producer, Robbie. Uh, we have a laugh all day, and we get to do stuff like this. You know, yeah, planning stuff like this. It's and, wonderful. Well, I mean, more particular, it's filing. Yeah, because I did okay, filing yeah, yeah. as work placement, and I I didn't know what I was doing, so to, I ended up just filing it. To be fair, in this randomly. sort of modern digital area, you'd be keen to know there's not a lot of filing going yeah, on in offices enough, anymore. So that that bit that bit's gone. And then lastly, we've spoke about religion a little bit, but if uh, if heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? 
You had great fun, didn't you? <laughs> so, yeah, Michelle, thank you very much for your time. You've been absolutely wonderful. Thank you very much. Thank you. And if you enjoyed this episode of the Believe in People podcast, don't forget to check out our other episodes and hit that subscribe button. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. Our name is CGL Hull. That's C-G-L-H-U-L-L. We're on iTunes, Spotify, Amazon, and Google Music. So please like and subscribe to receive regular updates. You can also search for Believe in People podcast on your favorite listening device. And if you could leave us a review, that will really help us with getting our message out there and rising up the daily podcast charts.